Carlo Tevez, Tevez da solo, Tevez, Tevez, Tevez al limite dell'area, rimane fuori tutti Tevez! Hello and welcome back to More Than A Game, a podcast dedicated to the Premier League, the A-Leagues and more. Today on the show, a new A-League season is looking real nice as three derbies highlight the weekend despite some teething issues with the streams. In the Premier League, is it finally Ollie out? And a touchline tet a teta as the Reds route Arsenal. I'm Colby uh, and I'm going to be your host today and I'm joined by Tommy C and Damo. Boys, what a shitload of Pretty good football on the weekend. Damo, what, what have you made of it all? Yeah, it's been great. I've watched a lot of football this weekend, a lot more than I have in weekends past, obviously because the A-League's back and I'm sure we'll talk about that at length. But yeah, it's 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 been a big weekend of football, so I'm a happy man. And Tommy, um, you're, you're back again for another week after our midweek ruse pod. And I see you're wearing the yellow today. Um, wasn't there on Wednesday, but you know we've got. Is this the? Is this the? This is the Lego kit, isn't it? This is this is FC Brixton. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you get around the the boys in the in the builders' Lego. Uh, and um, you've you've um, taken in a bit of football this weekend as well, Tommy. Um, uh, how has it been having the the full uh, complement of A League and Premier League back in your life? Well, I mean, I went to the game on Friday night at, at Amy Park, but then uh, I had a conflicting engagement last night. I had axe throwing in South Melbourne <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of uh, catching up with the A League. So I had had some had some homework to do today. <laughs> <laughs> wow, um, I don't know whether that's uh, an early own goal, but um, let's <laughs> let's talk about our own goals and moments of the week, boys. Tommy, we'll, we'll um, give you the floor, seeing as you, you've got it already. Uh, what stood out to you this week? Well, it's been uh, a pretty exciting week, but for me, uh, I had I couldn't go past uh, the Premier League's rights being re, uh, reissued again. Um, being that uh, I'm a, a loyal Optus customer, I think I've only taken a break for about 12 months when I was about 21 or something, so over 10 years ago, uh, means that I get the, the Premier League for free. So... I'm looking forward to another six years of the Premier League for free now that Optimus has retained the rights for another six years. So In, um, in 720p. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> hey, mate, with, with my fetch box that I got for free as well because right. my stream wasn't working during the World Cup, uh, it's uh, it's all good. So uh, mate, I'm, I'm just uh, looking forward to, to more great football. It's real David Moyes uh, six-year contract at Man United areas, isn't it? Like if they, you know, if they cut, the, you know, if something dramatically goes wrong and they they cancel it tomorrow, we could just have, you know, a six-year contract just running in the background. <laughs> uh, Damo, like- what's what's caught what's caught your attention this week, mate? Oh look, I, I couldn't go past going going to a live A League game for the first time. I think for me in in about two years, apart from the grand final that Tommy and I went to last year, but. Seeing Brisbane Raw play, obviously my team in Melbourne, I haven't seen that in a long time. Um, I missed the last time they were here. And then the time before that was probably over two years ago. So, yeah, that was my uh, my moment of the week was was just being there in the flesh and watching them play. So, And I'm blowing up about that day, Mo, because as listeners might know, uh, this year I relocated back to Brisbane from Melbourne 
And for the first time in in probably I would say like seven years or something like that, we're getting like what is it for, for the three out of the first four fixtures the the roar in Melbourne, uh, when usually we have to it's wait crazy. until sort of February or some crazy date like that to before fixturing allows for the team to to travel down to Melbourne. So I'm just going to have to wait to uh, see them up here in Redcliffe. But you know the the day will come in a couple of weeks. So I'll, I'll just give you my. Uh, moment of the week first and I, I you know i mean this has been mentioned a lot on social media but the uh the new song real nice by tk Meidzer and young franco oh it, it's an absolute banger and like people are people are just vibing it all over social media there's a few there's a few contrarians out there um that, that don't really like it but um that it's pretty safe to say that it's been universally praised by soccer twitter which isn't easy to do um and <laughs> It's just one of those things like they've, they've actually commissioned this song, the A-Legs have commissioned or the APL have commissioned this song to be like a, a brand new song for the, the leagues. And yeah, rather than picking up something existing and with that kind of thing, it's so fraught for it to just be cringe and just corporate and shit, but it is just an absolute banger and the, the gamble has paid off. Confirmed it slaps. I think the the hardest thing to do was to make it sort of relevant to football, but not sort of in your face that it's relevant to football. I mean, I think it's like the second or the third verse where they actually there's a few football references in there, which is it's a reminder that yep, this is like the official A League song, but um, it, it's not like it's not three lines or something like that, right? Where it's just constant bombardment of football references. So yeah, it's nice. It's it's my my favourite commissioned football song since Cup of Life. So that, I mean that's where it's that's kind of where it's sitting for me. Here we go, ole ole ole. All right, boys. Own goals, own goals, Damo. Uh, what, what haven't you liked this week? Um, I've got a few own goals this week. One the one first one. It's more of a more of a sad thing rather than own goal is the the news that Sergio Aguero is is likely to retire um, with a press conference in the next couple of days or early during the week. So um, it's a, I had a heart condition on, on a few tests. And, and then, I mean, if you, if you're a, a pessimist or a conspiracy theorist, you, you'd probably think that it's his way out of his contract at Barcelona that he doesn't really want now anyway. So it's sad on all accounts. He's been a great player for a long time and love to watch. So that's sad, but, but my actual own goal this week is, and I'm not sure if you guys saw this, but Chelsea, in their their upper west stand at Stamford Bridge are increasing the season ticket prices by threefold for next season. So they're going from £1,250 a season to £3,900 for a season ticket in the upper west stand, which according, we might have to get confirmation from uh, George and any other Chelsea fans, but according to some other Chelsea fans that I know, that the west stand is is the most tough of of Chelsea fans, so it doesn't really affect them anyway. Oh, it's fine then. <laughs> I mean, they just need to protest it. It worked for it worked for Liverpool fans when uh, the ownership group wanted to put the ticket price up. They all walked out, and it was it was pretty swiftly dealt with. But um, yeah, it's I don't know. Maybe this kind of thing flies in London. You never know. Probably wear it as a badge of honor that like they they pay that much money. <laughs> Bragging rights. Throwing, you know, you've got football fans throwing coins sometimes. These guys are just like throwing credit cards and stuff. Are these the same Chelsea fans that go home to their um, super basements in London? (laughs) You know, those six-story basements? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think that checks out. (laughs) They don't have basements. They're on the penthouses. Come on, Damo. (laughs) 
Tommy, what was your own goal this week, mate? Uh, I liked the Aguero story as well, sort of for all, all for the wrong reasons. I'm a little bit sad, but um, had a couple others as well. First one, obviously, about MacArthur's pitch. That is just uh, just really shocking stuff, the state of that. I sort of was a little bit unsure how bad it was and then saw the photos and thought, wowee. Um, but really, I, for me, it's hard to go past the... Uh, um, the A-League, obviously, they, they've tried to bring on some some new commercial sponsors this time around. Um, and, look, some of them have been more subtle than others. Um, I think the one that I hate the most has got to be um, the Harvey Norman replay. And every time they show a replay, calling it the Harvey Norman replay. I mean, <laughs> look. <laughs> we got him. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but, look, uh Let's not forget that uh, every time I think of that, I just am reminded about how Harvey Norman didn't pay back $18 million worth in job, worth a job keeper last time around. So, um, yeah, that, that's all it reminds me of every time I see a replay in the A-League now. <laughs> I think last night I was uh, I made a comment that I was watching the McDonald's halftime of the Isuzu Ute A-League men and they were talking about the Harvey Norman replay and it made me feel like it was real NFL vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Although we say that, right? But then if you're like, you know, on the odd occasion where I, I sit down to watch like a full game of AFL or something like that in the season, holy shit, that is commercialized as fuck. And like, you know, the A-League's still got a while to go before it gets to that level of commercialization. So we, on that on that one hand, we can be happy. But on the other hand, I guess like if we want to put a positive spin on it, um, Harvey Norman aside, we can we can at least kind of um, be sort of encouraged that uh, these commercial partners are, are willing and wanting to come on board with the A leagues. And um, yeah, it's um, it's it's I mean, boding if watch, well. If you watch any other sport across the world, that it's just full of adver- advertisements. Football is one of the very few sports that is really just fraught with advertising throughout the broadcast. So. You know, it, it just feels a little bit strange for it to be happening on football. But if you watch other sports, you're so used to it. It's funny. I, like I say, that sort of that's crossing a line. But um, we all accept that wearing sponsors' uh, logos on your collar of the of the manager is, is fine. And we, we've accepted that that's normal. Like, I, still, I, I still haven't accepted collar sponsors. I don't know. I mean, I still think that's a meme. Just like all the Channel 10 advertising for the A-League. It's just... Um, <laughs> I love it because it's it's you know it's our league and it's it's the meme league. So uh, that's that's um, you know one more entertaining factor as if we needed another for the greatest league in the world. Uh, but boys, my own goal this week um, it's got to be the the soccer Twitter rage at Paramount Plus is uh, early teething issues, and we were talking about this in the group chat, boys. And I, I've given given soccer Twitter some praise in in how they universally got around the the uh, the song that's been created for the leagues, but Come on, opening weekend of the A League. We had some, you know, not not flawless. I would say um, opening weekend for the new streaming service Paramount Plus, who who is who are streaming the A League this season, and um, it's the latest streaming service you'll need to get your hands on to get your football fix. Um, we on the opening night we had the the blue buffering circle that just wouldn't quit, and uh, on the Saturday night we had delayed comms in the Woo game, and I think there are a few other little bits and pieces around there as well. But I mean. People were disproportionately just losing their minds at this. And I like maybe I put it down to everyone was just so keen to watch some football and the yeah, I was so excited for the A-League being back. They were a little bit upset. But my God, like it's it's like they forgot all about Optus like botching the World Cup and ha- having to hand it to SBS like midstream. Um, and now it's considered a great streaming platform. Like, guys, come on, just take a step back. It was uh 
given that I only caught this sort of the following day, it was I thought it was was really interesting given that that everyone just blew up over it. I mean, all of the replays I thought actually worked really well, and I thought, oh, cool, this platform seems flawless. Um, yeah, apparently not. Uh, catching up on Twitter. <laughs> so, um, boys, you, you will have you will have probably both. Uh, I think we've all watched a game or two. I've watched. I've pretty much watched every game on Paramount Plus this weekend, even the Channel Ten one, where I had, I had one on Ten Play and one on Paramount Plus side by side last night. It was an absolute vibe, which was great. And um, but but what have you, what have you made of uh, the, the sort of opening weekend? Teething issues aside, do you like it? Would you like to see them bring in some new features, Damo? I'm just liking the um, the breath of fresh air with all the different commentators, different opinions. Um, it, it's and it, it's felt stale for a few years with the same people saying the same things, game in, game out. Um, we've had some people on comms this week. Daniel McBreen's been good. Kenny Lowe. A couple of the, yeah, Kenny, Kenny Lowe, Lowe was that on was, the first game, good. which was great value. <laughs> and then there's been a couple, couple of the new uh, lead commentators have been great as well. A couple of the guys that have come in um, that weren't part of Fox. So uh, yeah, that that's probably been my favorite thing. Obviously, there's there's some features that that Paramount will add over time, but you know, they're not important features as long as the game plays and we can watch the game. Then it's like I really liked the new the new commentators as well, Damo. So I, I definitely agree with that. And some of the new ones, I didn't catch their names, but there were some real like dulcet tones and some like some calming voices to just throw something different in there. And we'll have to get Jesse to give us a roundup on, you know, on, on the commentary, seeing as uh, that's that's really his thing. The next so time think- he's on the pod. I think the one you're referring to is Robbie Thompson, the guy from the League One uh, World Feed, and and he's got he's quite 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 a sort of soothing sort of. I can listen to an audio book from that bloke. He was yeah. he was good. Well, he's used to <laughs> um, commentating by himself because those World Feeds commentators are just by themselves. So he just constantly talks, and he never really made time for the co-commentator. <laughs> He's um I don't know like he's got a very sort of smooth sort of calming voice. It's like he's uh it's like he's made for was it Smooth FM, like that mm. uh the that late night uh radio radio station. But yeah, um if, if there's one thing I do want to throw out, it's about the he, the mayo that he put on Ben Garuccio's name. Oh, wowie, Garuccio <laughs> loves it, <laughs> loves the mayo on that one. Boys, um, one thing I would like to see is is just a live and rewind function in in live play. Like, it's, I mean, pretty standard in streaming services, but I haven't noticed it unless I'm missing some option somewhere. I'd like to I'd like to see that come in just to you know if I've missed a goal and want to see the replay or something, just to you know scrub back you know ten or fifteen seconds to to catch it. Or if I want to take a screenshot for, for some content for Twitter, like let me go back and get it. Okay. <laughs> one, one other thing that annoys me, and and I only just saw this earlier when I was looking to watch the the Macarthur and Wellington game, is that um, the way that the games are labelled on the platform. It's season twenty twenty two episode six. Is this yeah. is the game that's currently on? So I can't yes. wait until we're on the final round of the season and we've got season twenty twenty two episode one hundred and ninety six. <laughs> Like, shouldn't the title just be the two teams? Doesn't that just make sense? Yeah, yeah. Or like the, the match or the round, like you know, round one, Wellington, round MacArthur. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the in the season review, we're going to have to refer to games by the actual game yeah. number. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. you remember yeah. when we saw game one hundred and thirty-six, oh. episode six. <laughs> well, for those playing at home, you're listening to episode one hundred and fifty of the More Than a Game podcast, and um, we will we will keep it moving. Um, on to some news and listener questions. Um, the big one, I suppose, is is there's the media reporting that um, after their humiliation away at Watford, the Man United board are, are 
reportedly in the process of sacking Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I haven't seen anything official yet, but I think the club's expected to confirm that announcement today, UK time. So should be pretty soon. There's been a tweet from Fabrizio with a with pretty much a here we go. So, uh, boys, what what do we make of this? The Man United circus rolls on, and I'm I'm here for it. I'm just I'm loving the show. <laughs> The, the most unreal thing about it all was that apparently it took them five hours in a meeting to to come to the conclusion <laughs> that they needed to sack Ollie. They're, I mean, they're yeah, just, just watch the Watford mini match, guys. Come on, like 20 minutes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's been a long time coming, and I think Manchester United have put themselves in a really bad position now because Spurs obviously acted earlier and, and realized that this was probably going to happen that Manchester United were eventually going to sack uh, Solskjaer and Conte was the man that United were sort of lining up. So Spurs pulled the trigger early and, and got their man. And now it's sort of damage control for Manchester United. There's there's really no big names that they can go after or that will want to be there. So that's probably, it's just the big question is is what kind of happens from here. Obviously they'll have an interim and then try and find a manager, but, but who is it? And do they really want to be there? Just appoint the interim long-term. Work well this time. <laughs> just give it oh. gigsy to the end of the season. Give it gigsy. It's, give it's gigsy just for three years. The longest train wreck, I suppose, or it just sort of smells like one of those relationships that um, you know, that they should have they should have left that relationship years ago and it's just been allowed to go on and on and on. And then when it does finally end, like no one's got any energy for anything else. And I, I don't know what this does to the the team for the rest of the season because in the in that match against Watford, they just looked like they'd completely given up in that um late on in that second half. So I don't know, maybe they'll get a bounce, but um yeah, it'd be very interesting um to watch the performances from the team in the next couple of weeks. I mean, one of the one of the bonuses about Ole coming in was that apparently he sort of cleared out sort of that toxicity associated with the um with the Mourinho era. But I mean, I mean, they're back to square one pretty much now with the team is just there's no morale, team's flat, shit performances. What was the point? In other manager news, manager appointment news this time, um, it's a moral victory for Ange Postacoglu, who's got Celtic back in form, um, and, and Stevie G's promptly uh, just, you know, left Rangers, and, and he's been appointed the manager of Aston Villa uh, and got his first win overnight as well uh, for the Villains over Brighton. Boys, uh, do you think this is a good appointment, uh, Tommy, for Villa? I'm not sure, to be honest. I think... Um... It's it's a tricky one to know how how it's going to pan out because there's obviously talent in this this filler side, um, but they've also got some big problems too. And I think he's got plenty of work ahead of him. I do suspect that there's a little bit of a cultural shift that's going to have to take place, and and that's probably going to be the biggest challenge for him in the short term is is how to turn around some of the morale and the the culture there. And I mean. By all reports, that that was one of the big problems associated with uh, his arrival at Rangers was he had to turn around sort of an, an underachieving culture. So, I mean, managed to do it there. Maybe he can do it again at Villa. Well, if there were cultural problems in the dressing room, um, I think we were we were saying on this pod a week or two ago that um, a lot of them were between the captain and the and the manager. And you know, once that happens, it's, it's pretty bad news for the manager. But Tyrone Mings looked in good form in that game. So, um, yeah, like uh, Stevie looks like he's uh, off on the right foot um, at Aston Villa. So, uh, yeah, time, time will tell what an appointment that will be. And it's, it's going to be really interesting to see whether whether Rangers was, uh, you know, just a, a fluke or a happy accident or, or um, you know, just, just how good he is as a manager. And this is a definite step up, that's for sure. 
Uh, and finally, boys, we've just got to listen to question. Don't know how how seriously we should take this, but it comes from our friends at Striptease on Twitter. And it, it's um, in, in light of the Danish FA's stance on Qatar, do you think Graham Arnold's tactics were potent- politically motivated to ensure the Socceroos <laughs> boycott the World Cup? And if if uh, for listeners who aren't sort of following this, the the Danish FA have, have said it's going to be introducing a series of measures to highlight the human rights abuses in Qatar. And this is after the after Denmark's already qualified for the World Cup. They're going to be introducing measures like training kit sponsors making way for messages that are critical of Qatar and the human rights abuses, and and they're going to minimise the number of trips to avoid commercial activities that promote the World Cup hosts events and things like that. So that's the the, the Denmark context behind it all. But um, what what do you make of that, boys? <laughs> I mean, if, if Graham Arnold's doing that, he's one of the smartest men in Australia. <laughs> that's uh, 4D chess from Graham Arnold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good question. I like that. Thought we had to squeeze that in there. But um, let, let's squeeze in some football, boys. Uh, so coming up next, we've got round one of the Isuzu Ute hey, A-League men. Boy, First five minutes of the second half. Rosos had it all to do. It was a hospital pass, and now Urenia sliding it to Nisbet, and Nisbet has broken the deadlock. Oh, they're 2 0 down. It's a diving header, and it is a goal on Taboo from Farrell. Jets want to take it quickly, they do. Silvera. Kenya, Thurgate, rolls Hall, goal! Newcastle are back in business, and it is one of the subs, Valentino Yule, who makes it 2-1. All right, well, uh, the weekend of the Isuzu Ute A-League men, boys, it's almost uh, it's almost come to an end. We're, we're, you know, at the 80th minute of the MacArthur and Wellington game, which we've sort of got on in the in the background here while we're recording the pod. But it's it's featured three derbies, and the the least biggest name on paper, the F3 derby, was actually a cracking game of football. Um, that opened up a double header at McDonald Jones Stadium. And, and Central Coast basically showed they're not a not a spent force after all. Um, holding off Newey, who were who were coming back strong towards the end of the game, um, it finished in the end. Uh, Newcastle one, Central Coast Mariners two. Goals to Josh Nisbet and Academy product Jacob Farrell uh, for Central Coast before Valentino Yule got one back for Newcastle in the second half. They came storming home, and it was just like a pulsating finish to the game. Matt McGurr on Twitter, boys, asks us. Was that the game of the weekend? I really hope not, because it's literally the only game out of all of them that I haven't actually watched in real time. <laughs> I, I watched the goals and a couple of highlights, so I really hope it wasn't the game of the weekend, or I've really missed out. Spoiler: It was. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I think there was, uh, there was some sort of it was probably sort of the low hanging fruit in terms of exciting matches, though, because whilst it was fantastic that the football was back and the A League was back and. A lot of the games just didn't live up to the, the sort of the excitement and, and were a little bit flat. And I mean, the Friday night's game, at least the first half, felt like a felt like a preseason game still sort of on the pitch, um, unfortunately. So 
great that the F3 Derby did bring the bring the fire because yeah that that finish that was that was what I called of that the, the final twenty minutes and I mean there, there was spice in that and it was great to see. And it was great for um, Montgomery to get a um, uh, a win to start off the season as well. Um, you know, many people questioning how he was going to go this season, but he he's off on the right foot. And they were they were talking. The commentators were talking in this game about how you know he was the the youth boss sort of stepping up as the um, the, the full time manager. And it's not an uncommon path for for coaches to get uh, for, to take in their managerial careers to sort of step up from managing the youth team to managing the the main, you know, men's side. And with that often comes, uh, you know, great knowledge of of the youth players in the club. And um, it was, yeah, youth youth prospect uh, Jacob Farrell, who uh, Montgomery had clearly identified and just who scored an absolutely beautiful bullet diving header off side Goddard corner um, to sort of give Mariners that sort of 2-0 lead at the time. Boys, Big value, big value in, in knowing the youth setup and and identifying the key players to bring through at the key times, Tommy. Yeah, it's always tricky with with youth players and bringing them through, isn't it? Um, I guess we saw sort of the benefit of it of it last year, but it's um, it, I think the the balance, the, like the the timing and the balance of bringing in young players at sort of the right time, so that they they don't um, I guess lose their confidence. Um, and, and playing them in sort of the right matches, that's that's really the tricky part about sort of blooding youth and making sure that you're giving them the right blend of sort of coming on for maybe 30, 40 minutes and, uh, and, and when to start them. So it's really tricky. I think for Central Coast, that's that's kind of the roots of their club and that they're good that they've gone back to that. Historically, they've they've created a lot of great young players and put them through to the first team and a lot of those have become Socceroos even. So... Um, I think for the Mariners to get back to that sort of feel as a club, that's probably the best direction for them. So I'll just call out, boys, since um, you, you both didn't see the full match, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my sort of highlights of who I think really stood out in this one. A lot of the new the newcomers um, to the league stood out. So I, I thought that Pena was was brilliant. He was constantly splitting defences with his passing game. Penetration. Uh, Moreshe, <laughs> the, um, the the Brazilian at the Mariners, um, came on as a sub, made his presence felt very early. He was physical and just giving it to the Newcastle home fans straight away. So I think the Mariners will will like him. Uh, Mikel Tatsé, the uh, Georgian, a lot to like about him, very passionate. He was just absolutely blowing up when he hit the woodwork and he went close <laughs> a couple of times as well. He looks like he'll be quite a player as well. So um, those, those are just – I mean, it, like – could be very, very passionate, very, very passionate. That that same kind of like um, Eastern European Ooh. spunk. Yeah, yeah, I liked it a lot. And uh, Sai Goddard, the, the Japanese youth international, um, I, I liked what he was about in the first half as well. He faded a bit in the second half, but um, I, I liked the look of him too. And then then players that we that we sort of got to know a bit last season and the season before, uh, Yule, obviously, Nisbet with that goal, he was buzzing around. Uh, Arena as well looks like he'll have another very strong season for the Mariners. So uh, a lot of a lot of good structure in that team still. Boys, one other thing to mention about this game, um, we were mentioning about the comms before. This was Teo Pelletari and uh, Andy Harper on the comms. So interesting mix there because they're both sort of play it straight at times. But uh, we we did get some choice quotes, and I've I've just 
picked up one here when I was listening to the game. They were talking about the the, the weather in the stadium and the the we, the breeze swirling around and the the corner flag picking up the breeze. And Harper just goes, "Oh, it goes flaccid when you mention a gusty breeze." <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, Compare uh, that with the uh, Eastern European spunk, and we've got a we've got an interesting <laughs> game on our hands. <laughs> I just didn't didn't know the, the right adjective to go for, boys. But he's got something about him. You, you watch, watch, um, watch Mikel Tatsi and uh, and see what you think. But let's let's keep it moving, though. Um, we'll go to the Friday night game because, as we said, the Saturday night games were, were pretty dour, and we work we will cover them. But let's let's talk about Melbourne City Brisbane Raw. Melbourne City two Brisbane Raw one. Uh, Tommy and Damo, you you boys were both at this game. Um, I'll go to you first, Damo. Uh, what were your overall impressions? Overall impressions was probably that City, City were underwhelming and Brisbane were better than I thought they would be, um, is probably how I can sum up the game easiest. Uh, like Tommy kind of said earlier, the first half was a bit flat, but the second half was it was very entertaining. And I thought, ironically, City's front three, which which everyone has spoken about, the three Socceroos, were um, arguably three of the worst players on the pitch. So... It's, you know, City City just weren't firing. Uh, that's clear, but they still got the three points. So it'd be good to good to see what um what you thought of the game, Tommy. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with your your point about the the um City front three just looking pretty flat and a bit underdone, truth be told. Um obviously they were in Socceroos camp for the last two weeks, um, or one to two weeks. Um, but look, the this this city side is so well drilled. Um that even even when the front three isn't firing, they they still found a way. Um, I, I thought um, uh, Metcalf, Connor Metcalf, was was really good, and I actually thought he was really unlucky not to get any um, points in the uh, the Johnny Warren Medal uh, or the Alex Toad Medal. I can't remember which one it is that they they show up the points after the game for. Um, thought that was really unlucky because I thought he was he was outstanding. Uh, again, obviously got uh, got a deflected goal as well. Um, but look, the, I thought um, as far as the raw went, oh, I thought that they set up really smartly um, from a tactical perspective. There was like there was no room in between the lines. There was uh, they set up with like a back five, which I don't think they normally set up with a back five. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was it was it, it was sort of a back five. It was one of those one of those formations where you've got the ball and your wing backs get really far forward, but when you when you don't have the ball, everyone kind of sits in, and then Steinman sits in between the lines. So mm-hmm. the Raw have played a back three for a long time, yeah. um, but obviously when mm-hmm. the other team are going to have 80 percent of possession of the ball, that back three more than often, more often than not becomes a five. It's a pretty but, flexible but, system. Mm-hmm. But but curiously, um, the the back three or back five actually sat very high, and it meant that there was really there was there was space um, there was a little bit of space in front of the city centre backs for them to play, but there was zero room for that front three and even the middle three to play in, um, and it just made it really really difficult for them to sort of get any any decent rhythm. And the score did finish 2-1, but not without some controversy. Kai Truen looked to have the ball in the back of the net for an equaliser. Uh, only for the linesman to raise the flag for a very narrow offside, uh, which wasn't reviewed by the VAR. Damo, was this just a case of it not being able to be reviewed because it wasn't clearly and obviously um, an error by the linesman or an error that occurred in the passage of play? Yeah, look, I'm not too sure. And 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 I've watched a few of the games this weekend and there's been a few sort of uh, incidents, I guess you could say, that that have felt very similar with VAR and 
And I, I almost thought to myself, and I think I might have mentioned it, it, it almost feels a bit of a directive to the referees that to not have VAR intervene and have these long pauses that we had last year. I feel that VAR did review that and they approved that it was onside and they just let the game go. And and I feel if if they thought that it was any if they thought it was actually really, really close, then we would have paused and the referee would have gone to have a look on the TV or however the process is. But I don't know. It's maybe a better question for you, Colby. You, you're the only one out of the three of us that actually watched it on TV and and had the commentators talking about it. I didn't see um, the the disallowed goal until uh, when I got home later in the night and, and fired up the mini match. And, and I, I'm, I still can't see whether it's on or offside. But yeah, maybe it's a good question for you. What what did you think of it watching the watching the broadcast? It didn't look clearly off to me, if I'm honest. But um, yeah, like when it when it's close like that, if the linesman puts their flag up straight away, my understanding is that the the VAR can't then intervene, which I think is a bit strange because we see in general play, like when it's not a set piece, that the directive seems to be to the linesman to keep their flag down until something else happens and then they sort of go up. But the flag went up straight away, so it must have been clear. Well, I think Daniel McBreen, Daniel McBreen was on comms, wasn't he? And I think he he said a good line where he said, well, well even if it was offside under review, you wouldn't you assume that the way the game is played these days that the advantage is given to the attacking team until it's over overturned if it's a margin decision so i thought that was a good point because yeah, yeah like you said that's that's sort of how the system is meant to play is that directive is is for the flag to stay down so the linesman must have been sure um and i, I think it was a bit of one of those ones where he was kind of it was all stagnant there was no real movement happening so he there was it was still when the ball was kicked. So the decision was sort of already made because the linesman could see that he was already offside. So I don't know. It was, it was one of those ones that, you know, there's a bee's dick in it if there's anything. Encouraging performances, I guess, for, for both for both sides, boys. But uh, what do we read into that game for, for the, the seasons of both teams? And I'll start with you, Tommy. Um, what, what, do you, what do you read into that for Melbourne City's season ahead? Just dusting off some cobwebs? I always think it's um, it's really dangerous reading into the first round too much. Uh, I was no, just that's thinking, why we're here. That's why we're here, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> We've got what to read into it. About? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think um, any team that does have a slow start should always be concerned about how quickly those cobwebs do come off because um, obviously you want to you want to get up into into the right gear as quickly as possible. But by the same token, if, if you're winning ugly, um, and you're able to win ugly. That that is the that is the sign of a championship team as well. So, look, very positive early signs for City that they got off the mark and the right the right frame. So, um, they, I, I think Gisnormo would have been sort of cautiously positive about about the result and the performance. Well, we've we've had a we've had a view of of Brisbane's performance on the night and what um, that could mean for their season ahead by uh, listener Mace on Twitter who said that Brisbane looked um, very well organised and had a great mentality. City controlled most of the game, but were a bit lucky to come away with the three points. Um, Brisbane are going to have a decent campaign if they keep up like that and not the, the, the subliminal message of keep up in there is not lost on me, Mace. So um, <laughs> that, that, that pretty fair, Damo, for yours? Yeah, I, I think it's a fair assessment, but I, I feel like Brisbane... Uh, they're kind of teetering on that edge of um, if there's if there's a few results that don't go their way to start the season, obviously they're away to victory next week as well. If that's another loss and and then you've got a few losses to start the season, all of a sudden these 
promising performances that aren't getting results don't don't really amount to anything. You become that team that people go, oh, yeah, I, I like to watch Brisbane, but they just have no incisiveness, so they're not going to get a result. So no one really fears them um, when it gets to that point. So they've got to be careful um, early on that they don't get to that point where no one is really threatened by them at all. But, yeah, promising signs. Uh, obviously, Lescano was out and Aldred was out. You bring those two back in and – and it makes a team a much stronger team, you would imagine. But I guess the only question I've got from uh, from this game is is who's got the bigger bunda, Cyrus Demi or Matt Leckie? <laughs> Cyrus Ooh. Demi absolutely launched himself at one point at uh, at Tom Glower. I, I thought to myself, my goodness, this guy's a nutcase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought he had a great game. I thought, and there was a lot of chat on, um, and a little, a lot of different Brisbane Royal groups on social media about already writing. Him I actually off rated his performance too. Had a, he had a horrible game, but I thought he was brilliant. He did a thankless task in a team where he had to run back and forth, chase defenders who were making easy passes, but he did a lot to keep the ball, to control the ball when it came to him. Yeah, he's he's only nineteen years old or something. His touch and his final product's got a lot of work to do, but. I think I, I tweeted, you can't you can't learn his work ethic and his and his work rate. So um, he's got that going for him, and he's got a big bunda, so he's got that too. <laughs> him and uh, Lecky could start the, uh, a Bundesliga in Australia. So <laughs> the only other thing that stood out to me in this game was um, just how late Alex Parsons came on for the Raw. Not sure what's up there. He can't. He didn't come on until the eighty fourth minute. Have you got any any uh, inside word on that demo? No. Nothing at all. And he came on as a nine as well, which I felt was a bit strange too. So mm. um, or more of a, a false nine, if, if you will. But yeah, I, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out because everyone expected him to play a, a starting prominent role moving into Broish's number. You know, he's, he's going to have a big season. And and we were talking about it at the game that he hasn't actually played that many minutes through preseason. And he only played eight minutes at the end of the game, including injury time. So It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how he's utilised. Maybe it will be different when the other number nine, uh, Lescano, that's come into the side actually comes back in because he was, of course, out for this game. So he's still to come in, Aldred's still to come back. But we've got to move on. We've got to, This is not the, the Brisbane Raw hour, so we'll keep it moving. <laughs> uh, to the Sydney Derby, this was, this was a bit of an arm wrestle. Um, ended up in a nil-all draw as Western Sydney hosted the Sydney Derby. Quite a defensive performance from Sydney FC. Um, but, Tommy, who, who do you think's happier with the point here? I suspect that they're both both equally happy with a point because uh, this is, I think this would have been a game that both sides, um, and it was illustrated through their tactics, that both sides would have just didn't want to lose. So they, I think... Not only was it a derby, but you, you start off the season uh, with a loss and it, it can set the tone for the next couple of weeks as well. So I think they, they'd both be happy just not to have lost and that they're not going to be sort of in the in the bottom three or four teams already just because just by virtue of having had a loss. So, yeah, funny one. Funny, funny game, though, really. Um, um, I thought... Uh, Jack Rodwell's uh, his distance, uh, his shot from distance. That was probably one of the one of the big highlights of the game in, in a game that didn't really have that many highlights. Well, for for me, the highlight of the game was was Reese Williams' post match interview. I don't know if you guys saw it. He was having a lot of banter with uh, whoever was interviewing him, and he, he just looks happy and happy to be back playing football. And he was really enjoying himself. His horse, his horse, his 
his voice was so hoarse after the game. He was screaming at his defenders so much. So, yeah, he's really that kind of leader. But I think he kind of summed up the game, like you said, Tommy. He, he summed it up by saying, you know, we wish we could have got three points for the fans today because they were brilliant. But we got a draw and it's something to build on. So we'll go on to next week. So it pretty much sums up um, how both teams probably approach that game. A big we go, you, we go again in the dressing room from both teams, Damo. Definitely. Can, can we talk about Corica's hair? <laughs> Tommy, it was a Tommy meme. It was a meme. <laughs> <laughs> I know the photoshops are pretty good these days, but come on. Evan's done me. I thought that was legit. I was like, <laughs> my goodness, he looks actually like Pablo Neto. But yeah, yeah, okay, all right. For listeners that haven't seen it, just go onto Twitter and um, and start poking around and looking for these uh, Corica memes. I think someone had photoshopped him with quite Italian-looking hair, I would say. Uh, I think Get in to response check it out. to... The- to the quite defensive performance from Sydney FC. Um, the caption uh, was, watches Serie A once. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was. It was a quite defensive performance at times from Sydney. But, yeah, as 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 I said in the intro, just looked to be a bit of an arm wrestle, this one. But um, uh, Elvis Cam Sober, of all people, actually stood out to me for Sydney FC. His, his quality and creativity in the final third. I, I mean, where did that come from? Was it Melbourne Victory were holding him back? Is that what you're trying to say, Colby? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I, th- I thought he was great too. I mean, in, in a game where there was really no standout players, mm. it, it's it's usually the quick electrifying players that run at players that kind of do stand out in those games. So, I mean, although Elvis Kemp didn't really do that much, I don't think, um, he kind of stood out because he had some of the brightest moments. But mm. I think Reese Williams was far and away the man of the match for, yeah. for that game. He, yeah. he was brilliant. Um, and then I actually think Caceres for Sydney did a very similar role in kind of um, sitting in front of the back four and cleaning up before the ball even got there. So Caceres and Reese Williams, you know, you don't expect these kind of def- more defensive-minded players to be a man of the match in the derby, but they, they both were the best and, and it kind of sums up the game really. Well, the other dour derby of the weekend was the Battle of the Bridge uh, as the Woo hosted uh, Melbourne Victory and Melbourne Victory got up 1-0. The Tony Popovac era is off to a good start. <laughs> the Victory picked up the three points on the road thanks to that second-half header from new centre-back Roderick Miranda. The goal came from a set piece um, and that was the difference. Um, and, yeah, very few chances created in this. So RIP uh, of your dream of a Saturday night goal rush, Tommy. Yeah, it was their one goal in, in the, the goal rush. Yeah. So <laughs> glad they didn't call it goals rush. Sort of like Just... goal orderly cue. Yeah. The the best part about the uh, the goal rush was that I, I was watching the game on the, the derby on Channel 10 and they they didn't actually mention that there was a goal in the victory and woo game until about 10 minutes after the goal actually went in. Simon Hill said it. And I'm hearing that it's 1-0 in Geelong. <laughs> Did they ring the bell? Like they have a fake up bell? <laughs> they should. They should bring that back. Guys, there was a be- there was a goal fifteen minutes ago. Check yeah. it out. <laughs> well, so, you yeah, can't because you be can't scrub there. back on Paramount Plus. <laughs> well, yeah. That's the problem. They couldn't. They couldn't. You'll have to wait for the to... mini match. <laughs> <laughs> Boys, um, I did want to throw out. Um, there's been a lot of criticism of the Woo and their lack of and the lack of um 
progress with their stadium. Uh, a friend of mine who lives in Geelong who has no interest at all in the A-League um, got invited along by a friend of his to the, I think it was the Woos President's Dinner or something along those lines. Look, he only went because it was a free feed and apparently he liked the, um, the barramundi on offer on the menu. So he, he went along and he let me know afterwards that apparently they're, they're breaking ground this week um, on the, the, the broader precinct uh, where the stadium is. So I'm, I'm going to assume that's probably the, um, it could be the, the, the residential component of the precinct first. I don't know if they're building... So Barramundi with first. a side of lies, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. I just eat it up, a big bowl of lies. <laughs> big bowl of lies for dinner. <laughs> yum, 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 yum. So uh, it was the, the first match in charge of the, the Tony Popovich era for the victory and, and also the, the John Aloisi era for Western United. Uh, I know which side of that I would rather be on, but um, well, what did you make of their their first games in charge? Um, you know, what would you be taking out of that demo? I actually um, I watched the mini match for this game because I was watching the the Sydney derby at the time, and on on balance of the game, it kind of looked like it was a very back and forth. Um, it wasn't the sort of game I would expect from from a Popovich side that we've come to expect of being solid at the back and then kind of breaking. Um, and playing that way and uh, both teams had chances it, it, you know it's a shame that it only finished one nil but like you said it's it's kind of that that feeling of a derby is you just don't want to lose it more than anything else and that's that's kind of what the feeling of the this whole first round has been is you don't really want to lose but moving forward I think obviously like you said I'd much rather be a fan of the victory than than the woo right now but who would you rather manage Neither. Like the, the, the project, <laughs> you know, all the promise of Western United, this new stadium that's definitely going to come soon and, you know, a, a real blank slate to build your, <laughs> you know, build your image around or, um, you know, would you rather just a, a really big established in, in A-League terms, um, well-run club like the Victory that are, that are going to completely back you and you know, you know, you can sort of uh, make your mark on as well? Well, to be fair, I'd, I'd like to play in front of, Twenty-five to thirty thousand fans every week that are making a rabble, then then be a a, uh, a travelling show. <laughs> Look, I'm going to be devil's advocate here uh, for the woo because uh, John Aloisi. You love the woo, Tommy. I do. <laughs> former member, former member, and look, just put a bowl of lies in front of me, and I'll gobble them up. But um. <laughs> But look, as far as John Aloisi goes, this is a this is a free hit for him. No, no one's expecting him to to do well. Um, and if he does, really, if he does anything, like if he gets anywhere near finals, it's it's been a win for him. He's sort of uh, probably enhanced his reputation as a manager again. So look, it's it's probably it's probably good goodness for him. Just just in terms of some of the performances, um, I think. Damo, you said there were chances in this one. I think there were, but it didn't strike me that there were very many really clear-cut chances. And I think in large part that comes down to the the defence of both sides and particularly the central defence. You had um, new recruit Lacroix for the Woo and Miranda for Melbourne Victory looking like they're going to be very important. How how important do you think these new international centre-backs are going to be for their sides going forward? I've always been a massive proponent of... Your, your international, your visa players in the A-League being these kind of experienced uh, rock defenders because that's obviously where you build a good side from. And and Popovich knows that, and, and I'm sort of surprised that um, the Wu have gone that direction under Aloisi. I, I would have thought that 
you know, they would have been striker heavy given that's kind of Aloisi's motif and it was was at the heart and it was at the raw. It's kind of what he did with international players. So, yeah, they're going to be hugely important for their teams. Um, they're both great players. And I think uh, Miranda particularly, um, from from what I've read, really, really stood out um, and was had a great performance. Obviously capped off with, with a goal that won them the game. Let's keep it moving then, boys. Uh, Perth and Adelaide uh, finished in a draw. This was a big game in terms of crowd numbers, completely sold out HBF Park over in WA. You know, whether they were there to see Anthony Burke, Gilroy and uh, Yengi or whether they were there to see Premier League player Daniel Sturridge. Either way, a bit of good media helped them on the way there and it looks like an absolute cracker. I watched all this game last night. I th- I actually thought it was a great game to watch. The The stadium really felt really alive in Perth. There was a lot of people there. I think it was the biggest attendance of, of any A-League game this week by a fair way. And, yeah, it, it just – about the Sydney Derby? Oh, man, Sydney Derby, yeah. I just forgot about that already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Pretty forgettable. Pretty forgettable. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's right. But, yeah, I mean, it was all about Daniel Sturridge, wasn't it? And um, what, what was it, Colby? We got eight minutes of Sturridge. Seven minutes of storage. Seven minutes, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> it's it, it's funny, right? Because you, you you're on two two you know parts of the story, right? Is storage has been in quarantine for two weeks. He's suddenly trained with the team for like three or four days, but everyone was there to see storage. But and then Perth go away for nearly a month and they don't come back. So, it, it, as the manager, it would have been a really tough decision to to know when to bring him on because obviously you want to give the fans what they're there for, but you don't want Daniel Sturridge has got a history of being injured to be underdone and get injured and then you don't get get to use him. So I was thinking it was almost going to be a case. Do you remember like a year or two ago when I think it was Juventus played that exhibition match in China and they all like rocked up to see Ronaldo playing for Juventus and he didn't play and they like sued them or like something like that. There There was some big fan revolt. Because <laughs> they didn't, they didn't get to see the big gun that they came to see. Um, and yeah, I think they ended up getting some kind of refund or tickets back or something like that. But yeah, um, I almost thought it was going to be one of those. I just kept like being like, oh, "When Sturridge was going to come on, come on, like put him on." Well, if I think it was an away game, I don't think he would have been in the team, to be honest. Yeah, it but, was sort of just putting him on for the, you know, because I like we know you're here to see him. Here you go, but you know, we probably wouldn't have played him otherwise. Kobe, to, to change tack a little, I think this was an excellent excellent example of of why we all love the A-League and it's easy to get swept up in the big names. But um, for me, Bruno Funaroli's goal, wowee, that was Oof. just an absolute peach. I mean, Bruno Funaroli's been one of my favourite players in the A-League over the last few years and it's because he's capable of doing things like that that he that he gets us all excited. I mean, he doesn't maybe have sort of the star power of Sturridge, but... I mean, as a player and, and, and getting sort of people out of their seats um, once they're at the game, um, then, yeah, there's not not uh, many players better than Bruno Foroli, really. That's right. you got to get the bums on the seats and you got to get the bums out of the seats. <laughs> well, I, I actually think Perth were quite lucky to escape with a draw. The, the, la- the, the back end of the game, they looked good. But for the vast majority of the 90 minutes, Adelaide dominated the game and, and looked really, really good. And... Um, that was even with, with Craig Goodwin on the bench. That's my boy, Craig Goodwin. So, you know, he, he's only going to come back into the lineup to make him better. But I think we were talking before the game. Uh, if there was anyone that was going to copy Daniel Sturridge's dance, it was going to be Cassini Yangi. And scored. what does he do? He did his own TikTok dance. 
that, like, that was going to be my own goal, dance. Damo. That's my dance. <laughs> that was going to be my own goal. You had your chance to do the storage dance and you didn't do it. <laughs> Come on. But uh, yeah, as it was, it finished It finished one all and yeah, both, both sides had some good chances. There was a VAR review um, and a goal disallowed for Fornaroli for, for Perth towards the end of the game. But yeah, you're right, uh, Damo, Adelaide did look like they had the better of the chances, particularly in the first half. So um, I think both teams will take positives out of that one. How good was that pink Adelaide away kit though? Now you've seen it, Damo, what do you reckon? It's a peach, isn't it? It's a peach yeah, of a kit. It's a peach. <laughs> Absolute peach. And uh, just a final game. It's just it's just finished up. Um, MacArthur won, Wellington won. Goals to Rose and Gary Hooper from the penalty spot to, to finish out the round. Coming up next, uh, Premier League, match day 12. Oh, that's a mistake from Joshua. King has gone down. And the referee says penalty. Penalty to Watford. Here goes Ismail Asar. Oh, it's a poor penalty. But hammered into the roof of the net on the rebound. But look at that. It's clear to see Femenia encroachment before the kick. It'll have to be retaken. Ismail Asar again. Oh, it's saved again. Good looking ball that. Ambasaka away. Collected by Dennis, and there is Joshua King! Ricochets to Femenia. Saar! Oh, he's done it! Ismail Saar puts his penalty disappointment firmly behind him to lash Watford into a 2-0 lead. Dennis. Swell Petro again! Would you believe it? Dennis! Oh, they've got another one! There is the full-time whistle. A miserable day for Manchester United. Five defeats from their last seven league games. How much longer can this go on for, you wonder? Watford four, Manchester United one. Boys, a big weekend in the Premier League as well. Let's kick off, though, with... Man United at Watford, away at Watford. This game was absolute carnage. You know, it, it kicked off with the with Josh King being taken down by McTominay in the box for a penalty for Saar to step up, miss the penalty, but kicker for Mania scoring on the follow-up, only for that goal to be disallowed for, for Mania <laughs> encroaching, for Saar to step up to take the penalty again placing it in the same spot again, having it saved again. And then, so you know, so the match started with two penalty shouts and a disallowed goal. So it was nil all after all that commotion. But Watford eventually did get into the game quite solidly when uh, King slotted from a cutback and some terrible fen- defending from Man United. And from there, it was only one-way traffic and, and a lot of pain for United. Saar finally got his goal and celebrates by asking the fans forgiveness for missing those two pens. United did get one goal back through Donny van der Beek. And after Harry Maguire got that second yellow and got sent off, it was just even more pain with my boy, Joao Pedro, uh, sealing it, and then Dennis with the dagger. Boys, where do we start with this? Uh, look, I, I, I think the place to start is with, with De Gea. You know, the, 
the two saves he made at the start of the game, everyone's thinking he was going to have a blinder. And, you know, he's he's prone to either have a brilliant game or a hor- horrible game. And this and turned out both. to be... Well, it, this turned out to be both, but it, uh, for all four goals, he should have saved very easily. The first one he tried to save with his feet. He could have just picked it up. The second one went straight underneath him. The third one went straight underneath him. And the fourth one, he just didn't stick an arm out for it and could have tipped it wide. So I, I at length talk about how much De Gea frustrates me. And if I was a Man United fan, I'd be more done with him than I'd be done with Solskjaer at the moment. Damo, is this just your secret um, you know, agenda to get... Um, yes. To get De Gea out and to get um, Dean oh, Henderson in, Hendo, get Hendo in. Yeah, should be happy that De Gea is still playing. That way, yeah. Henderson will leave. Kobe, <laughs> it was a couple of things that that I really liked about this. Was uh, first up, I, I saw someone said that um, Watford would have sacked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer three three times during this match if if they were. If it uh, turned out that performance, that's good. Um, another one was uh, a little bit disappointed that um, Harry Maguire didn't cup his ear after he got sent off, uh, as he did after scoring against Albania during the week. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and look, the third one was um, I loved that Donny Van der Beek, that he's likely going to be the, the final goal scorer of the, the Ole era at, at Man United. I thought, oh, yeah, that's there's fitting. Some, there's some after nice having played there. like three games in the league under Ole or something ridiculous. <laughs> I'll just start off with some um, some lighter notes before we just get into the like trashing United and, and Ole <laughs> story. But um, one, one of my favorite commentary moments from this game was the commentators when Ben Foster made a good save. They said, Ben Foster rides to the rescue for Watford. And I thought, yeah, they've seen his, they've seen his spin classes. Tell you what. <laughs> I am really looking forward to Ben Foster's uh, vlog about this about this game. Woo! That YouTube channel is going to blow up with this. Yep, I think I saw yep. a meme about it that was like, we beat Man United, me saying bye to Ole or something like that. This was <laughs> the, the headline of his next video. So um, yeah, we, need yeah. to, we need to find that and link to it um, because I'm sure it'll be great. Um, but the second, the second just general observation I had was Watford Stadium was absolutely rocking like you know, that's one of those matches that will live long in the memory for those fans, I think. Well, Vicarage Road is one of those old, um, smaller kind of English grounds where everyone's so tightly packed in. And when it gets loud, the, the place literally starts rocking on the old in the old wooden terraces. I'll just go into the, the post-match press conference a little bit, but this might be redundant because Ole may have already been sacked by now. But, um, you know, he was... He was asked in the post-match interview about the, the usual kind of things, like what went wrong, how are you feeling, et cetera, et cetera. And he was saying things like, oh, we need to get the players in a better frame of mind. But, Tommy, isn't that his job? 100% that is his job. Um, and, like, I mean, he, he's, I feel like there's a clue in there. He's, he's almost saying, sack me, sack me, I can't do this. There it's was like, real subliminal messaging in there as it's, well. It's and a cry for he, help. Went on to, he went on to say... All these players are top players and we've got incredible staff and we're not getting the results with the subtext being exactly. He's the problem. He's it's the like, problem. Was he blinking in Morse code or something? Yeah. Like, help me. <laughs> Save me. I think he's yeah. trapped. I think this is the Jesse conservatorship theory. Just really coming. Like he's, he's, he's trapped. I really hope that he's, he's free now. He's, I hope he's in a better place already. Yeah, he's free, in a safe house. Ollie. He's in a safe house somewhere <laughs> far outside of Manchester and, and safe. Um, it's a rock on down to the Ecuadorian embassy or something in London or Manchester. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> two 
Two teams who are, who are safe, though, uh, Liverpool and Arsenal. Liverpool more so after absolutely routing Arsenal in this um, 4-0 win. It was just electric performance from Liverpool at home again. Trent Alexander-Arnold was the, the architect of a lot of it, but Liverpool's front three, Mane, Salah and Diego Jota, uh, really, really stood up as well. Damo, what, what stood out to you in this one? I think it's just a bit of a reality check for Arsenal. They've had a lot of good results over the last probably month and a little month and a bit. The last maybe four or five games, they've they've got some got some points that they maybe didn't deserve on performances. But yeah, they've they've come up against a you know a team that is a genuine title contender, and they've been absolutely played off the park and didn't even look competitive. So um, a reality check that there's a long way to go for Arsenal. Things have been going well, but you're a long way off off the big boys yet. Kobe, I think Liverpool really are one of the best teams in the in the league, if not the world. And I mean, you you've really got to be something special to be able to beat Liverpool. And oh, um, here he is. <laughs> look, <laughs> Arsenal, uh, Arsenal, like like Damo said, they have put in some good performances lately. But um, uh, all, all jokes aside, um, Liverpool do have the ability to just sort of step through the gears, and they they did this against Arsenal, and, and Arsenal, particularly in the second half, just got left behind, um, and. We'll put we're left on their ass, really. Um, and like if I'm not sure if the score maybe flattered Liverpool a little bit. Maybe you can maybe you can talk to that a little bit, um, Colby. But I think a lot of people have been surprised by Arsenal and their their good results. But um, I guess we now we'll see if they'll they'll go on with it um, now after a bit of a, a bloody nose, as I like to call. I think the other the other message to take is if you're an ex player who's now a, a young manager, don't come at Jurgen on the touchline. Oh. <laughs> that was that was a real heat up as well. That's yeah. one of the most heated managerial exchanges I've seen in the Premier League in a little while. And it took the, the assistants uh, and the referees all getting in the middle. And the, I don't know what was that all about. Oh, apparently, Arteta was complaining that uh, Mane didn't get booked for the challenge on Tomiyasu, um, and then it blew up from there when when Klopp said something to him about sit down or, or shut up or something like that. And uh, my favorite part of it was um, after the whole thing happened and, and Liverpool went one nil up. Klopp turned around and, you know, he does his big gurn face right towards the <laughs> Arsenal bench as if, like, come on, listen to me now. Like, Let's I love go. That, so. <laughs> but is, is, is Klopp's gurn face doesn't work now where he's got the piano key teeth. It's just, like, two sets of, uh, <laughs> two sets of piano keys just off-centre now. <laughs> My favourite thing about this was, yeah, Klopp and Arteta had a big blow-up, but... W- what was what added insult to injury for Arsenal is that when Liverpool were romping home to the win, you could just hear the fans, the Liverpool fans in the stands, just chanting "Ollie's at the wheel, at the wheel." They don't even care about Arsenal. Like, they're scoring goals, and Man United's got an incompetent manager, and life's good. And well, that's that going to be the ultimate the insult, hasn't it? Yeah, the, well, yeah, it's, Arsenal. It's, but they're it's three, four nil up, and you're not even singing about the team you're playing against because it's been that easy. <laughs> Says it all. Tommy, it wasn't so easy for your West Ham who went down 1-0 to Wolves overnight as well. What happened in this one? Yeah, mate. Um, I think, uh, what is it? Uh, this was their, This was West Ham's uh, first loss in eight games in, in all competitions. Um, in that run, they'd beaten Spurs, City um, and Liverpool. City uh, on penalties, obviously. Um, they're, four, um, they're in fourth place in the league, unbeaten and top of their group in Europe. They would do a poor performance. 
they have been playing really well so far this season. But look, this this was probably uh, West Ham's worst performance for quite some time. Uh, apparently, uh, Kurt Zuma and Declan Rice they sort of basically stormed off at the end of the game. Just quite a few players, I think, were were pretty frustrated. I think with this performance, but but it's kind of been coming to some degree as well. I think Suchek is is definitely due a rest. Um, Alex Kroll got COVID a couple of weeks ago, and so he hasn't really been able to give uh, him uh, Suchek or Rice um, a bit of a break. And, and so I think um, the fact that they've got another Europa League game this week just it, it, we, we talked about um, the the struggle of trying to trying to bring in. Um, uh, rotation and the the challenge uh, for Moyes, but I mean now you're starting to see the impact of not really doing that much rotation in some key areas in the team. And and look, full credit to, to Wolves. I mean, I think it was about a month ago we were talking about them as relegation candidates if if Lasha didn't 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 do the right thing. And I mean they're up to six now. They're flying. Yeah. Well, Wolves lost three of their first four games, and then um the, to start the season and since then i think they've got five wins a draw and a loss in in the next seven and they're in some they're in great form and and not just getting results they're playing really good football Pedence back in the side as well and looked pretty good uh jimenez had looked like he had quite a good game as well so they they look like they're they're starting to click now finally jimenez looking confident as well after finally coming back after that injury as well which is great to say Let's just go through a few of the other results now. We don't have time to go through them in detail, but there were some wild-looking games um, overnight. <laughs> um, absolutely wild. And, um, you know, not the sexy headlines either. So Newcastle and Brentford, six-goal thriller. This one just looked like it went back and forth and back and forth with Newcastle opening up the scoring with the Lascelles header only for um, Ivan Tony to... Um, drill it across goal and and get um, Brentford right back in it straight away. Um, Brentford then took the lead only for Newcastle to to go up through Joe Linton. Minutes later, <laughs> Brentford got a deflected goal to get, give them the go ahead, and it was Alan St Maximum with the cartwheel celebration uh, and the first time finish uh, to give Newcastle the draw and the much needed point. They're they're on the bottom now after Norwich got up in their game. But the thing that stood out to me probably the most about this game, um, catching up on it this morning, was the commentary. Uh, who Who is that? I need Jesse here, but who is that commentator? Um, do, do any of you know? Is it Ethan Okoku or? No, he's the one. Uh, it's the who, one who's, who's always take... always really excitable. Is it that guy? Yeah, he's really excitable and he, his, his like diction, he takes like a long time between each word and it's just like he was hysterical in this game. It was, <laughs> it was, it was absolutely wild if it's a guy i'm thinking of i actually don't mind that guy i don't mind him either but um yeah brilliant brilliant game Uh, yeah one that i I wish we had more time for but we've got another six goal thriller that happened overnight as well and it was burnley crystal palace we're talking dow football in the a league before and you see that you see burnley crystal palace and you're expecting a nil all you know a nil all draw. Crystal Palace have um, been quite uh, defensively solid this season, and Burnley a typically defensive team. But it was it was crazy as well. Benteke got two goals, so you know something's like got, going a bit wrong. <laughs> um, and Burnley through a few set piece goals. Um, ben Mee and Wood uh, Wood with a particularly soft glancing header, um, and then just a worldie from Maxwell Cornet in the end. Shades of Timmy Cahill with the over the shoulder and uh, volleyed into the top of the net. 
other results, boys. We've mentioned Norwich before. They um, they got up against Southampton two to one. Southampton uh, opened the scoring with Shea Adams after a bit of an improvised assist from Armstrong, but uh, Norwich came back almost straight away with with Pookie beating McCarthy, McCarthy at his near post, uh, and then Hanley laid on uh, with captain's contribution heading down, but again looked a bit soft from McCarthy. So maybe it was a case in this one of McCarthy having a bit of an off night, but uh, sorely needed win for Norwich. Pookie party's back. You're picking him up in fantasy, Tommy? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we also mentioned at the top, uh, Stevie G got his first win in charge of Aston Villa. Uh, They got up 2-0 over Brighton. Some big chances in the first half for Brighton, but they didn't capitalise on that. Both keepers pretty active in the first half. Um, Steele in at Brighton um, for the injured Sanchez and Martinez both in it with big saves. But then it was very late on, like the 84th minute, Watkins curled one in at the halt end and then Mings smashes in after a save wasn't cleared and that was enough to give Villa all three points. And finally, Chelsea three, Leicester nil. Um, Leicester hosted Chelsea and Chelsea got up through goals to Rudiger Kante and Pulisic. Uh, one interesting note from uh, this game I've got is, is Chelsea's defenders just keep scoring goals. And I've got a stat here that says the, the – well, it was at the time the top four or the um, top five, rather, goals scored in the Premier League by defenders. Chelsea have had 13 goals scored by defenders in the league this year. Liverpool won, Man City won, West Ham four, Man United zero. So, like, it, league goals scored by defenders. Chelsea, I don't know what it is. Tuchel's taken the build from the back um, very seriously, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, Lukaku's got a long way to catch up when he eventually um, makes his way back into the team. So that's that's pretty much it. But still to play this weekend, Manchester City are at home to Everton and Tottenham taking on Leeds. That will do it for us, boys. That's all for today. And thank you again, listeners, as always. We're, we're really pleased that you've, you've joined us again. If you've liked the show today, make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. If you're a new listener who's just come back on board for the A-League, welcome. Um, subscribe to us on uh, whatever feed you listen to your podcasts in. Get around our YouTube channel or Twitter or Facebook. We'll link to all of those in the show notes. But we'll be back next week uh, with round two of the Izuzu Ute A-League men. Match day 13 of the Premier League and the Champions League continues. But until then, enjoy the football. Ooh.